All right, man, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. You know, you're making your way through the Game of Thrones series. I think you have finally finished it, correct? Yep, I finished it Monday night, I believe. All right, what's the verdict? You know, you made it all the way through. Well, first, I have to I have to hear your thoughts on the final season. Because, like, I know that a lot of people don't like it. And before I say how I feel about it, I want to hear your thoughts and opinions on the final season and if you think they ended it correctly and whatnot. I think that there was almost no way for the show to end that would have made people happy. You know, with Bran ending up on the throne, I think that that was, ex- you know come on like that that's terrible but (laughs) i don't know my my main issue with the final season is that it felt pretty rushed in my opinion and one of the things about game of thrones that made it such a great show and made it like pay off is like the long storylines you know like it took so long for some of those you know key characters to reunite like four or five seasons of being apart and then you know they draw it out and it makes it you know, a really good, interesting story that you want to tune into every week. And then it just feels like they tried to jam so much stuff into that final six episodes that it really like switched the tone of the show. They're like, all right, we got these six episodes. We need to resolve every single storyline right now. And then I didn't really love that. I also think that a show that has some of the best cinematography and like choreographed fight scenes that I've ever seen in my life really botched the main fight that they've been like you know teasing and building towards for eight seasons and then you know they get to it and just the lighting is ass you can't see shit in that final battle of winterfell and it's like brah like i I just don't know how they got to that after they did like you know the battle of the bastards which was like amazing and you know the first time that john fought uh fought the army of the dead at hard home it's like dude like some of the most incredible cinematography i've ever seen and then they just botched the big final fight and it's tough. And then of course, you know, Khaleesi becoming the mad queen in the end is I don't I don't even know how to feel about that. Didn't love that. <laughs> yeah, I I generally agree with everything that you said. Um first of all, watching episode three of season eight, which is the the battle or whatever, or episode four or whatever, I was legitimately pissed off. You cannot see anything. All it is is just them flying around in dragons and and fighting in the dark and ashes and oh my god, I was I was legitimately pissed off watching that episode cuz like you said, that's what they've been building towards for 7 seasons, right? To just mess up what I think should have probably been the best episode of the entire show. God, they just botched that and Brand becoming king. I mean, come on. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Why is he becoming king okay maybe i understand what they were trying to do with the direction that they went in the final season but it should have been john like let, let's be real right it should have been john the whole show in my opinion was built for john to become the king at the end of the show um i feel like daenerys just became the mad queen in one episode <laughs> what it took one episode We've had we've had seven seasons of her like freeing people, wanting to change how society is ran, and just overall probably being you know the right leader for Westeros. And then in one episode, that's all it took for them to to just destroy her character arc. Yeah. Um. Great show overall. I'd probably rate it like an eight out of ten, but they lose like a point and a half just for season eight alone yeah man i think no matter what it was going to be really hard to stick the landing on that show but it it almost felt like like you said like Jon snow was destined to be the king 
and they were like, all right, we got to throw one more plot twist in here just to just to get them riled up. And it's like, that was not the right one, bro. Yeah. Like this character <laughs> that nobody enjoyed watching for like the entire eight seasons is the king. Like, bro, I, w- I would say he was the most irrelevant main character in the entire show. Is Dude, that a hot take? No, there was there was one season. I think it was like season five or six where he wasn't in it. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't in the, the show. Yeah, I didn't miss yeah. him at all. <laughs> yeah, it was so it was so pointless. Like, oh my god, his 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 storyline. I mean, was by far the most boring, uh, for sure. And they got some stuff right, I think, like with Arya, you know, going off to do her own thing because that was kind of her story throughout the whole show, exploring and not staying in one spot. So that made sense. It made sense for Sansa to become like the leader of Winterfell. It made sense. Bran becoming king was just terrible that that did not make any sense at all and then sending john back to the night's watch like come on brother unsullied left this dude could have <laughs> did whatever he wanted he didn't have to go back to the night's watch and the thing is there's nothing to watch for anymore so why are they why is that even still a thing they they killed the the stuff they were watching out for that's a good point there's not even <laughs> like, a wall yeah oh the, well there was a wall at the end like it got rebuilt somehow Oh, it refroze. Uh, I missed that. Uh, apparently. <laughs> well, that shit, that shit makes no sense, bro. But I will say it is it is hard to send off a show when you know that's like the final season, final episodes cuz I would I would say a majority of shows just get canceled before they get to that point. So. Yeah. I mean, shout out to GOT, great show. Just unfortunate they couldn't stick the landing. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 186 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be breaking down week 14 in the NFL from a DraftKings perspective. Going to talk some slate specifics, what the Vegas Lions are telling us about the week. We'll talk some chalk and, of course, leverage, stacks, and long shots, everything you need to know to have a good shot at banking a tournament this week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, our Discord chat is open and available. The link to join that is in the description to the podcast. Joey, this week 14 slate feels like one that is really up in the air right now. There's a lot of news that I think could shift things in between now and Sunday lock. Yeah, there's a lot of injury news that we're going to have to monitor as the week goes on. So that's going to make the uh, Saturday night live stream uh, even more important this week, especially since we're recording early Wednesday. And some of the information and stuff that we'll say in this pod might become obsolete Come Saturday night, so make sure you tune into that at 11 o'clock EST on our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose. Yep, yep, definitely. We can sort of start by taking a general look, though, some things that aren't likely to change. 
specifically from a Vegas perspective. This is an 11 game main slate with seven games early and four games in the afternoon. There's one game this week with a total above 50. That is Buffalo at Tampa Bay. The top five implied team totals of the week. We have KC at 29, Tampa at 28, the Chargers at 27.25, Tennessee 26.5, and Dallas at 26. Joey, what is standing out to you this week from a Vegas perspective? Yeah, I think what's standing out to me is, you know, we have another slate where there's not many good games to target. One game with a total above 50, that's the Bucks and Bills game, uh, which I think is going to be the premier game to target this week. Other than that, I mean, we, we have some ugly matchups like we have the Lions versus the Broncos Seahawks versus Texans Falcons versus Panthers Saints versus Jets like there are a lot of bad teams on this slate and a lot of low totaled games so we'll see how it shakes out come Sunday yeah definitely I mean god like we have a 41.5 a couple of 42s a 42 and a half a 43 and a half like god like these totals are nasty and that's just gonna make this Bucks Bills game stand out more I'm sure we'll talk about that quite a bit as we get into these players here starting off with the chalk and sort of the cash game core of players I think the main discussion at running back this week is going to center around the mid-range, and this is definitely one of the situations where we're going to have to monitor the injury news, but this you know, low 6K, high 5K range is pretty loaded. Javante Williams at home against Detroit at 5,900 would be a stone cold lock if Melvin Gordon were to miss. We're also waiting on JD McKissick's status as Antonio Gibson is once again 6K. We saw him have the role that we had hoped for last week, getting 23 attempts and six targets with McKissick out. McKissick did return on Wednesday's practice, so we'll have to monitor that. And then just some other names in that range, Chuba Hubbard, Saquon Barkley, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Like, There's a lot of players in this range that I think are going to be at least in consideration for cash games. Yeah, I think this is going to be the range to target for cash. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of guys. I think Javante Williams will be the best if Melvin Gordon is ruled out. So that is news that we will have to wait and see about. We'll probably get that like Friday or Saturday sometime. But at 5,900, he'd be a stone lock with no Melvin Gordon. You know, had 29 total touches last week, six catches against the Chiefs. So we know he's going to be used as a workhorse and he's at home against one of the worst defenses in the NFL in the Detroit Lions. It'd just be a complete smash spot for Javante. He'd be massive chalk. Other than that, I think we obviously have to wait to see if if McKissick is out and then Gibson would be a pretty standout play. I think those two would be my top two. Then after that, I think Saquon would be my number three and then Hubbard would be my number four just in terms of this mid-range. Sa- Saquon at 6K, I mean, it's a cheap price tag for you know a player of his caliber and ceiling, I think. Let me ask you this, man. What is Saquon's caliber right now? Because things have been really rough for him lately. He's still getting a good workload, but it seems like that game-breaking explosiveness is almost gone from his game I, I don't know if I can say that with certainty but I am worried about Saquon as a whole because the spot sets up well the Chargers are a complete run funnel Barkley has been involved as a pass catcher nine targets last week five targets six targets in the previous two games but even in a spot where Barkley had 11 attempts and nine targets he finished last week 
with 13.4 DraftKings points. And I just have to wonder if maybe we're holding on to the Saquon of old and he he's not that guy anymore. I don't know. How, how do you feel about Saquon and where he's at right now? Yeah, I think he's still, you know, recovering from both of the injuries that he suffered within the last year, you know, recently his ankle and his torn ACL from last season. Uh, and, that, and that's definitely debilitating him this season. But I think he's probably going to see 15 to 20 touches he's going to be utilized in the passing game so at 6k I think he's a fine play I don't think he's a must by any stretch and the offensive environment for the Giants is probably going to be terrible Mike Glennon got hurt in that game so if they're down Daniel Jones if they're down Mike Glennon they have to start Jake Fromm right so I, I think the touchdown expectation would probably be zero if Drake mm-hmm. if Jake Fromm is the starting quarterback they have one of the lowest implied team totals on the slate at 16.75. It, it is actually the lowest. So it's not a must by any means, but I, I don't hate it either. I definitely prefer Gibson and Javante over Saquon. In terms of the higher priced guys, the two that stand out to me most are Alvin Kamara and Leonard Fournette. Uh, Kamara is 7,900. It looks like he is definitely on track to return this week, and it is a good spot going up against the Jets. However, things do seem like Taysom Hill will be in there. We know that Kamara's role in the receiving game has been traditionally limited when Taysom Hill is the starter. He averaged four receptions per game in Taysom's starts last season, and 7,900 is a lot to pay for a player who's coming back off of injury and who could have a reduced role in the receiving game what are your thoughts on Kamara in his first action back since week nine I think he's a pretty great play I think that obviously it is a concern with Taysom Hill at quarterback and and whether or not we can project Kamara to see you know a high volume of targets but the Saints really have nobody man like the receivers don't do much Deontay Harris just got suspended for three games. So they're down to Treyway, Marquez Callaway at receiver. That's about it. They just waived Kenny Stills. At tight end, they have Jawan Johnson and, and Nick Vanette because Troutman is on IR. So there's just a severe need for, you know, some juice in the passing game. And I trust Sean Payton to get his best player involved on offense, even if mm. Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback and he's 7,900 going up against the Jets. We know the Jets kind of inflate fantasy points to opposing running backs. They're giving up 35 DraftKings points per game. They're giving up seven catches per game, which is fourth worst in the NFL to opposing running backs, I should say. And they're allowing the third most rushing yards. So it's a pretty great spot for Camara. Obviously, we kind of play players coming off of injury when, you know, nobody else wants to buy in. I I think he'll be ready to go, to be honest. He's had a month or so to recover, and I I think he's going to be a factor uh, for the Saints offense. They they definitely need a spark. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. We'll have to see sort of the status of like Javante and Gibson in terms of cash viability to see if I if I'm on board with playing Camara in cash. And we'll also have to monitor how Kamara does in practice this week, you know, if we expect him to be limited at all or not. But he definitely is a very much needed piece for the Saints offense. And then Leonard Fournette, I think, sets up really well in this spot. He's 7,400 at home against the Bills. And the Bills have quietly had one of the worst run defenses in the league over this recent stretch of games, fourth most fantasy points per game allowed over the last four. And I mean, the Monday night game against the Patriots was just a clear indication. Like 
they literally knew on defense every single play the Patriots were going to run the ball and they just could not stop them. Fournette should be able to find success on the ground in this game. And as a receiver, his role has been absolutely locked in over the past four weeks, averaging seven catches per game. So Fournette to me is definitely a standout play at 7,400. Yeah, I definitely love Fournette this week. He only has two games the entire season with under 10 DraftKings points and his role in the passing game right now is just elite you know seven catches in back-to-back games he has like 30 plus targets over the last month so he's a high floor high ceiling player in one of the best offenses in the NFL at home against a reeling Buffalo Bills defense I will say that you know the Bills run defense wasn't terrible against the Patriots they just gave up you know like two or three long runs but they did get destroyed by Jonathan Taylor everybody saw that and they are definitely vulnerable on the ground so 7400 I I think it's a fine price tag for you know one of the better fantasy players of the 2021 season moving on to the quarterback position in that same game I think especially in tournaments you know, the main focus is going to be on those two quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Josh Allen. Allen is 7,800. Brady is 7,600. Do you expect a lot of people to be paying up to that range um, and and trying to stack this game up in tournaments? Yeah, for sure. As really the only game worthwhile this week, it's definitely going to have a lot of ownership, but I will say there is a lack of value at the skill positions, so it could be a little tough to stack up these expensive bucks and bill stacks this week but in terms of cash games I I think the build is going to be paying down at quarterback and I I think there are two clear-cut pay down options this week we have Cam Newton who is 5400 at home against Atlanta and then Taysom Hill we just talked about on the road against the Jets he's 5600 I think both are cash viable this weekend. I will probably be playing one of the two in cash. I'm highly concerned about both of these players, man. I can't even lie. Like from a price perspective and from a rushing expectation perspective, they both seem good, but Cam Newton got benched in the last game that the Panthers played. They fired their offensive coordinator. They just lost Christian McCaffrey, which is a negative for the offense in a general and their ability to move the ball. All of those things are concerns for me with Cam Newton. The price tag makes it easy to stomach, I guess, at 5,400, but I don't like the idea of playing a quarterback who could realistically get benched in a game. And Taysom Hill, who injured his finger last week, threw four interceptions after suffering that injury. And the injury is really comparable to what Russell Wilson has been dealing with, which clearly has impacted Wilson's game. And Taysom's not going to miss any time over it. As you just mentioned, they are extremely depleted in terms of pass catchers. So I think you can poke a lot of holes in both of these players. Neither of the team totals are, you know, particularly enticing. The Saints have a 24.25, the Panthers 22 and a half. So I don't know. Neither of these plays are are really standouts, but I, I guess I don't know if there is a standout play period at the position this week yeah uh I don't I don't think there is but I will say you know Taysom Hill threw four interceptions last week and scored 27 DraftKings points yeah so I I really you know don't care about the interceptions or his finger when we know he's going to run the ball and we know he's going to have goal line equity in that Saints offense and I would expect for them to be in the red zone a lot against the Jets it's hard not to and you know Sean Payton came out and said 
he thinks Taysom's going to do well on Sunday. We we got the the coach's rhetoric behind Taysom. We know his fantasy upside against one of, if not the worst defense in the NFL. He's only 5,600. Don't really think you have to overthink it at quarterback this week in cash. I mean, we got two rushing quarterbacks that we've seen have 25 plus point upside this season alone. And they're both very cheap. And, you know, I'm not worried about P.J. Walker coming in for Cam Newton. Like, they're they're at home playing the Falcons, and, and Cam Newton's a starter. Yeah, I guess that's a, a solid point there. In terms of any other quarterbacks, is there any interest in the mid-range? You know, Russell Wilson in a good spot against Houston. Dak Prescott going up against Washington with a relatively cheap price tag for his ceiling at 6700 And I guess Justin Herbert as well for 400 more, 7100 going up against the Giants seems pretty good as well. Yeah, I think all these quarterbacks are in pretty great spots, to be honest. I don't know their ownership as of right now. They could come with a little bit. They could go under-owned. I think that Dak will probably have some. I think Herbert will probably have some just because, you know, they normally do. And Lamar Jackson's price is, is pretty good as well, 7400 but he's he's been kind of ass lately. So it's been hard to play Lamar, but let's say this this slate was week one and Lamar was 7,400 like we'd, we'd be jamming him in cash you know so I don't know it's it's kind of tough I I, I think Dak is probably the best play but Russ is definitely interesting against Houston and if, if we get lower ownership on Russ this week I think he'll be a great GPP quarterback especially with his receivers both being priced under 7k mm. Yeah, that's a really high upside double stack that we could be uh, looking to exploit in tournaments this week. At wide receiver, man, I'll be honest, there is just no value. The stone cold zero value this week. I I was scouring the player pool just to see if there was anybody we could pay down to, and there's really not. So I think we're largely going to be living in the mid-range. Some of the guys that stand out to me, Amari Cooper, underpriced for his ability at 5,900. Mike Williams at 6K, DJ Moore at 6,200. And these guys are underpriced for their upside, but they're really hard to trust. You know, Mike Williams has really been up and down. DJ Moore has had some of the better target shares of any player in the league, but he's also got three games under 10 points in his last five. Mike Williams, as we know, has been up and down all season. Yeah, he's been very inconsistent this season we know his upside obviously one of the highest ceilings in the NFL and he's had pretty good games in two out of his last three you know you're gonna get probably six to eight targets from Mike Williams it's just about you know will he score a touchdown pretty much to get you there and I think this week against the Giants it's probably a good bet for him to score a touchdown especially if Keenan Allen isn't ready to go he is on the COVID list he is vaccinated though so he definitely could be cleared before Sunday, but if it lasts a week and, and Mike Williams is the clear-cut wide receiver one, it's a stone smash spot for him. And then you got the Cowboys wide receivers in Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, both pretty cheap, and I think both should have decent roles in the Cowboys offense now that everybody's healthy and ready to go. But with that being said, everybody's healthy. The target shares could be spread out. A little bit more now, which obviously takes away from the ceiling of of Cooper, Gallup, and uh, C.D. Lamb. For the higher price guys, how are you comparing Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs? Both of them coming off of lackluster games with high price tags. Diggs eighty one hundred, Tyreek eighty five. Yeah, I think Tyreek is a little is a little bit better than Diggs this week. I just think his ceiling is a little bit higher, and over the 
you know, last month or so. Like, Tyreek was a target monster besides that game against Denver. You know, he had four straight with 10 plus, and he's only seen, what, like three games under 10 targets the entire year? Yeah. So we know the target opportunity is there. We know the ceiling is there with Tyreek Hill, and he's only 400 more. But Diggs is a pretty great play this week, in my opinion, in the highest total game on the slate. Bills probably should just go super pass heavy in this spot against one of the best run defenses in the NFL. And a lot of teams and a lot of smart coaches kind of opt to go with that strategy and just pass all over the Bucks because that's how they get beat. So at 8,100, I think it's fine, but I think he's a little bit worse than, than Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I do think that this is a spot where the Bills come out and just sling the ball, you know, relentlessly. So I like all the Bills pass catchers this week. I like Josh Allen this week and definitely going to have a lot of exposure in tournaments. I don't know if you can get up to that range in cash games. Uh, I think you're probably going to be living in the mid range, but mm-hmm. we'll see how the week develops. How do you feel about the tight end position this week? Because Travis Kelsey is a standout play at 7,400. The Raiders have given up the second most fantasy points per game to the position over the last four weeks. But I mean, in terms of cash games, obviously we can't pay 7,400. Yeah, I'm not paying 7,400 for Travis Kelsey. Just not happening. It's, a, it's that simple. So we're, we're going to look down at the bottom of the tight end pool. And I think... John Bates is in play. Logan Thomas just got placed on IR today. Ricky Seals-Jones was limited at practice today. He wasn't active last week. So if we get John Bates once again as the sole tight end for Washington and what I think could be, you know, a higher scoring game, he's 3K. I would just jam in John Bates and in, in cash and, and move on from there. But if not, um, Ricky Seals Jones, I think, would be in play if he's ready to go 3,600. And then you got Jared Cook, 3,200, and Gerald Everett, 3,500. Evan Ingram, 3,500, I think, are all in play for cash if we don't get John Bates. And I don't really have a lean. I mean, just pick whichever one, you know, close your eyes, pick, and, and hope for the best. All right. I mean,. I don't have much to add on that. I, I guess I'm kind of uh, with you there. We'll just have to see how this RSJ John Bates situation plays out throughout the week in terms of practice and availability. In terms of tournament strategy, leverage, stacks, and long shots, how are we going to be getting leverage on the field this week? Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously the easiest way to get leverage is to, you know, fade that Bucks in Bill's game. And I think there are some pretty great spots that you could pivot to. You know, you have the Mahomes double back on the main slate. It is expensive, so you'll have to uh, try and figure that out. But that always goes lower owned, and it's a good spot at home against the Raiders. You got Justin Herbert that you could stack up, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson. So there are a lot of leverage stacks on this slate that have just as high of an upside as Josh Allen and, and Tom Brady doubles that are going to go very under on this week. Yep. CD Lamb is also looking like he might be a really strong leverage play. I don't know how many people are going to be willing to pay that extra 1300 to get up to Amari Cooper, especially with all of these guys healthy now, Cooper, Gallup, Lamb. So I think that Lamb is kind of, he's, you know, this price range of wide receiver always gets under-owned because there's ceilings available in the 6Ks that people are going to be more likely to save the salary and go to. But I mean, CeeDee Lamb has pretty clearly established himself as the alpha in that offense, I think. And it is a good spot going up against Washington. Some clear-cut bringbacks in Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson as well. So um, Mm -hmm. Lamb is one of my favorite, you know, just straight up leverage plays 
I also think that one of the Bucks receivers could go under-owned. I'm not sure which one at this point. I don't know if people are going to try and save down to Mike Evans and go to 6,600 and leave Chris Godwin under-owned. Probably not coming off of a 17-target, 15-catch game. People could easily go back to Godwin, especially if the projections are favoring his recent output more so than his median projections. So we'll have to just see how the ownership shakes between those guys. But if we get one at a significant ownership discount, I'd have a lot of interest in attacking that. Yeah, I definitely like that. Mike Evans, 6,600 is very cheap. And I think we might get a little bit of ownership on Godwin and Lamb. You know, they've had ownership before kind of in this price range of like the low 7ks and you know people just love playing chris godwin in cash and he's coming off of a 17 target game so i think he could be a little bit higher owned and i don't know for some reason he's just always higher owned than mike evans no matter what no matter the the salary no matter the slight it just seems like people love playing chris godwin over mike evans and evans is a leverage play each and every single week that that we talk about um so I definitely like that. And I mean, we didn't talk about a lot of a lot of receivers in cash just because it is kind of up in the air right now. But I, I think like Elijah Moore and, and DJ Moore are pretty great plays. And I think they're cash viable. And Ayuk is, I think, in play as well. He's 5,800. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see about that. So make sure you tune in to Saturday. But there, there's just so many good receiver plays this week that you don't really have to, you know, condense your player pool onto like four or five guys. Um I'm going to have a lot of Tyler Lockett, a lot of DK Metcalf. Terry McLaurin is a great play this week, especially if Gibson is chalk once again. You know, you mentioned Lamb. Diggs is a great play, I think. DJ Moore is one of the best plays on the slate at wide receiver, in my opinion, at 6,200. So a lot of of, uh, guys that I'm going to play this week for sure yeah i'm interested in dj Moore for sure i like i like him as a stacking partner with cam newton i will also say on the elijah Moore note that he is in the concussion protocol and seems legitimately questionable right now so we'll have to keep an eye on that obviously Corey davis is also out for the year so you know jamison crowder 4700 and keelan cole is like 3100 so could produce some salary relief if you're trying to you know bring it back with a camara piece and in a correlated jet stack i guess but We'll keep an eye on that. No interest in Laquan Treadwell? I mean, Laquan Treadwell, it was a joke last week that we were going to play him over LaVisca, and then he led the team in receiving again. Like, Laquan Treadwell is the wide receiver one in Jacksonville. Yep, 3,400 in a good spot against Tennessee. I don't know, man. I don't think I can do it, but I I get it. I get it. (laughs) In terms of long shots, man, I don't know if this one counts. I don't know how interested people are going to be on him, but you you were ranking your top mid-range running backs and you left CEH out of your top four. This guy is 6,100. He's coming off of a 17-touch game when he was sick. He only played 51% of the snaps, still had three receptions, 14 attempts. He's a home favorite running back. People just have a mental block when it comes to playing CEH. I do not have that. The Raiders have given up over 31 fantasy points per game over the last three weeks. You know, CEH should be healthy over his illness in this spot. It's a good matchup, and I don't think anybody's going to play him. So I love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for tournaments this week at 6,100. Uh, yeah. No, thank you. I'd rather just play Gibson or Javante. But, you know, if that's your vibe, then then maybe. And I, honestly, I'd rather play Josh Jacobs, too. Oh my since uh, Kenyon Drake broke his ankle 
Josh Jacobs is just a receiving machine now, apparently. Nine catches for a career high last week on on nine targets. And, you know, the Raiders are are kind of banged up. Waller still hurt. Like I just said, they lost Kenyon Drake for the season. Jalen Rashard got placed on the COVID list. So Josh Jacobs might be the only guy left in the Raiders' backfield come Sunday. And it's a good spot against Kansas City. We just saw them get torn up by Javante Williams. So can't believe I'm touting Josh Jacobs right now, but I think he's a better play than than CEH straight up. And we'd even mention like this mid-range of like Swift, Mitchell, and Patterson. You know, I don't know if there if there's going to be a lot of ownership on these guys, but like Eli Mitchell, 6,700 against Cincinnati. If he's ready to go, you know, he's in the concussion protocol as well. I think he should be able to get cleared for this game, and it's just a great spot for him and one of the highest total games on the slate. We know that Shanahan wants to use him as a workhorse now in the rushing and receiving game. You know, I think like Jeff Wilson played like one or two snaps last weekend. Same thing with Hasty. So we didn't even mention him. I think he's a pretty great play, and Patterson, 6,900, is always in play, I, I think, and he got a little bit of a well, you got like a $100 price decrease, so I, I definitely like that mid-range, and we'll, ha- we'll have to see if Swift is back, but if Swift isn't back, Jamal Williams is uh, 5,500 again, and he'll probably be chalking cash if, if that happens. And he'll probably not be in my lineup, no matter <laughs> what. Um, yeah, yeah, the thing the thing with Mitchell is like, yeah, like if he gets cleared from the concussion protocol, like that's not the type of thing that would limit him in any way. So I would definitely have interest in him just because of his workload and price. It's not a great matchup over the last four weeks. Cincinnati is only averaging 62 rush yards allowed per game to the running back position. That's the third least in the NFL. So it's not necessarily a good spot, but I think the workload would be there. It's a it's a decent game environment. So they do give up the most catches to running backs, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on that. The last two longer shots that I I wanted to bring up were at the bottom of the barrel at wide receiver. Like I said, there's really no value. I mean, I will always have some interest in Gabriel Davis as part of Bill Stacks at 3,500. He did get a touchdown no last week. He was hey hey hey. He got a touchdown last week against your New England Patriots. I know you saw that. I know you did. But also, uh, Jalen Guyton made a couple of big plays last week, and he's 3,400 and I think would definitely be in play if Keenan Allen were to miss. Probably too thin otherwise, but I mean, if it's if Guyton is the clear-cut wide receiver too for the Chargers in a good spot, I would I would have some interest there at only 3,400. Yeah, that's a good uh, long shot for sure. My favorite long shot, I think that will come under owned this week is none other than uh, Terry McLaurin once again. You know, if we keep on saying them, we we got to get it right one time, right? Right. And Terry McLaurin is just one of the most utilized receivers in the league. Like he has a 26% target share, which is top 12 in the NFL. He has a top two air yard share. He has a 70% whopper, which is top five in the NFL. He has a 12-yard A dot, so he gets targeted deep down the field, has a lot of opportunity for long and slate-breaking touchdowns. He gets Dallas this week. You know, it is kind of a tough spot because Dallas's defense has been playing pretty well this season, but I expect him to go under-owned. This could be one of the higher-scoring games on the slate. I like targeting a cowboy stack and you could bring it back with terry mclaurin and then he's a pretty great leverage off of gibson who most likely will be chalk once again if Mm -hmm. i'm guessing correctly i think i think he'll 
he'll be chalk. So give me Terry McLaurin as my favorite long shot and you know, hopefully it hits this week. Hey man, you don't gotta tell me I am always on board to play some scary Terry every single week. Eventually he's gonna smash and I might get even on him for the year. So <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> and then um I think my favorite stack for this week and a stack that I think could win GPPs is the Russ double. Yeah. With Lockett and Metcalf. Uh they're both cheap, Lockett 67. I mean, DK Metcalf is 6,500 this week. You know, coming off of an eight-target game and has eight targets in three out of his last four, hasn't really connected with Russ since Russ has been back. And I think Lockett had a pretty decent game last week as well. You know, eight targets for him, seven catches, one one TD, 19 points. It's just very cheap against the Houston Texans. So give me the Russ double as my favorite GPP stack this week. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to say, but I do think that Tyrod Taylor's status impacts this game. I, I think it would be a little bit more competitive if Tyrod were in and there's been no decision uh, yet on whether or not he plays in week 14 or whether it'll be Davis Mills. So we'll have to see on that. Both of them got practice we- uh, reps on Wednesday. I guess there's not a huge difference between the two of them, but Tyrod is dealing with the wrist injury, so... I don't know. Seattle doesn't blow anybody out, Ben. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, that's that's factual. So, so would, you, would you bring it back with Brandon Cooks? I think that is a pretty good bring back uh, for sure. What His price, he's 5700 Yeah, so. and it's been a few weeks since he blew up. I don't think he's going to be heavily on this week at all. So I definitely like the Russ double with a, with a Cooks bring back for sure. Really, the only thing that you have to worry about is does Cooks Pete Carroll see Bill Belichick on, you know, primetime Monday night football, run the ball 32 straight times. And he's like, okay, like he got a hard on because yeah. of that. And and now he has to go out there and, and one up Bill Belichick and establish the shit out of the run. Mm. I could see Pete Carroll coming out and running the ball 45 times. That's absolutely disgusting to think about. Um, all right, let's close out the show here with our best bets. Actually had a pretty good week last week, went three for four between us. Although, Joe, I mean, you did say <laughs> that you would sell your firstborn child if your stone lock missed, and the Vikings game, unfortunately for you, did go over. Um, so it's it's time to sell your kid, man. Yeah, I'll be sure to do that when I have a kid. What if I just never have a kid? <laughs> then I don't have to. Well, you to have pay, to. You have to pay to, out um, the bet. You're you're gonna have to become a father now. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just a tough scene. Uh, I mean, it, it lost before you know that last touchdown. So uh, brutal, brutal scene. But you know, we bounce back. We go again. And for this week, I like the Ravens money line against the Browns. That's an underdog bet right there. The Browns are currently minus two and a half. Give me the Ravens to win straight up over the Browns, pick a little underdog there. And then for my second bet, I will take the Seahawks minus seven and a half against the Texans. I I think they just come out and obliterate Houston. Uh, Davis Mills is, is probably going to start as you kind of alluded to a couple minutes ago. So give me the Seahawks minus seven and a half. Give me the, the Ravens money line. And if you want, you know, price pick, Prop bets, you, you got to join the Discord, and we usually post our bets in there for the week. Yep, 
definitely would recommend doing that, joining the Discord for sure. I like both of those bets. I'm also going to take one relating to that Ravens game, although I like the over in that game. Currently, it's at 42. It's been bet down quite a bit. It opened at 46 and a half, and I just, I think that 42 is an overcorrection on that line. I don't know. It's just really low for a like any game that that involves the Ravens offense. I know they've been struggling and you know, the, the Browns have players like Nick Chubb who can just speed up the game at any given moment. So I, I think that 42 is just a really low line for that. I, w- I would take the over on that. And I would also like to throw down on the Chargers as heavy favorites, minus 10 and a half. It's, it's a wide spread, but even still, I mean, the Giants are traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast. This could be a Justin Herbert versus Jake Fromm matchup. And that really tells you everything you need to know. So I like the Chargers minus 10 and a half in this spot. Yep. I, uh, I think that's a pretty solid bet. All right, man. We got to get out of here and, and load up Warzone. <laughs> you feel me? The people. I feel the, you. If anybody out there plays Warzone, man, run with us. Hit us up. Join the Discord chat. We'd, we'd be down to run with some podcast listeners. If you play, yeah. if you play Warzone, this is a big week <laughs> for us. You could you could uh, come in and and join the squad. We usually have a spot open, and, and then you could see uh, Ben get clapped up. Excuse me, that, that's a specialty, bro. I'm about to. All right. Let's get out of here. That's going to be it for episode 186 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrying DFS. For more week 14 NFL DFS content, you can check out our YouTube channel, the DFS Dose, where we post multiple videos per week. We will be back this Saturday evening for the late night live stream. It is a very important week to be cognizant of information and how things are changing so make sure you tune in this saturday evening around 11 p.m eastern to get our final thoughts as we revisit the slate to everybody listening out there we appreciate you we value you until next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic